Well, while the choir is taking their seat, is there anyone else who wants to know more about how much Betsy loves the vacuum? We love you, Jonathan. And Betsy, I'm glad that at least once you vacuumed this floor. Actually, if truth was told, Betsy's vacuumed this floor ten times more than me, and probably more like a hundred times, wouldn't you say, John? Um, Anyways, here we go. Let's jump into God's Word. If you have got your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Exodus. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 2, then we're going to fast forward to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to finish up in the book of First Peter chapter 5, so you have an idea of where we're going. Now, there's a couple things that that, uh, that we want to do in this message. The message is, is geared around Christmas. Uh, I've got some, some information to share with you right in the middle of it, and then I want to close up uh, with a great message of hope at the end of it. And so that's where we're headed. We're going to start in Exodus, work our way over to Matthew chapter 2, and then finish up in Second Peter. But before we do any of that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you especially for this Christmas season. Lord, we thank you for that baby in a manger who was the king of this world and everything outside of this world. Father, we thank you that he loved us so much that he went to the cross on our behalf. He died the sin that we deserve to die, and he rose from the dead to give us eternal life. And Father, we are forever grateful that you have seen fit to forgive us of our sins and to give us eternal life. Lord, we love you. We pray that you would do great things this hour. And Father, I pray especially that you would feed your people. And Lord, I pray that you would use me to do it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, if you are over in the book of Exodus, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. And then we're going to uh, jump into things. I want you to know as we're talking about Christmas that uh, last week we talked about uh, the baby Jesus. And I'm not going to ask you what we talked about because then I'll end up forgetting, right? So we talked about... That was funny if you were here last week and I forgot what we preached the week before. Anyways, so we've been talking about the baby that's been in the manger. And I want to keep all of our sermons kind of geared around the Christ child and how great of a thing it was that that baby grew up to be a grown man go to the cross on our behalf. And so I don't ever want us just to see a cute little picture and think that that's all that there is. The manger has everything to do with God coming to this earth and taking our sin on him so that we could live with him and have eternal life. And so I want you to see through the scriptures that any time that God is up to something really big, Satan gets involved and tries to absolutely destroy it. And I want you to see two examples of when Satan gets involved, how drastic it is. And then I want to make an, make an application. I want you to see in the book of Exodus, this is Exodus chapter 1, verse 6. If you remember that the people of God went into the nation of Egypt. They went from where they were living to the nation of Egypt because there was a famine in the land. God's kept them in captivity. And now it's time for God to rescue his people from captivity and do something absolutely fantastic with them. What he's going to do with them is he's going to free them from the hand of Egypt. He's going to lift them up high and the whole world is going to see that there's a God in Israel through the relationship between God and the nation of Israel. And so Satan knows that that is at hand. And it's the scriptures say this in chapter one, verse six. Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt, verse 8, who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. 
Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply, and in the event of war, they will also join themselves against those who hate us, and fight against us, and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Phytham and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread out, so that there were, so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. Verse 13. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks and at all kinds of labor in the field, all their labors which which they rigorously imposed on them. Then, verse 15, the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. So get this, the king of Egypt, the, the strongest man in all of the world. He's the, the leader over the greatest nation in the world at this time. The king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, verse 15. One of them, both of those people, and he said, verse 16, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it's a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. And it came about because the midwives feared God that he established households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile. And every daughter you are to keep alive. I want you to know that there was a timeline given in the book of book of Genesis that God told Abraham that the people were going to ultimately go into slavery. So he's prophesied all this. He said that the people were going to go into the land of Egypt in slavery. And then he said that it was only going to be for a certain amount of time. And then he was going to deliver them. And so Satan knows that, that the people are about to be delivered by the hand of God. And so he steps in to wipe out all of the children that the Hebrews are having to lessen them. Now, that same sort of thing happens in the midst of the Christmas story. And I want you to turn over to the book of Matthew chapter 2. And there's a reason we're doing this. So we're getting around to the Christmas story. Just hang on. So you're in Matthew chapter 2, hopefully. We're going to start in verse 1. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 says this. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying... Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, verse 6. And you, Bethlehem of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search out carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. I want you to know that God knew just like he knew, excuse me, Satan knew, just like he knew in the book of Exodus, that God was going to be up to something big. And Satan knew in this book of Matthew that God was about to be up to something big with this child. And so both of these leaders have bad things in mind for all of the children. Verse 9, 
After hearing the king, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God, having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. And what I want you to see here is that when you look at the Christmas manger scenes, when you put baby Jesus in the manger and you see all of the festivities that go along with church plays and, and live nativities and everything else, there's a spiritual battle raging around the holiday of Christmas. You see, that baby was coming to earth to save this world from its sins. And do you know what Satan did in the midst of God coming to earth as a baby? He murdered all the babies in Bethlehem. You see, there's an enemy on the loose, and his name is Satan. And he wants nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy. I want you to see over in the book of 1 Peter. So you've got two different illustrations where God's up to something great. And Satan resorts to absolute murder to get rid of the problem, of Satan's problem. Now, hopefully you're in 1 Peter chapter 5. And it says this, 1 Peter chapter 5, we'll start in verse 8. Peter gives this warning, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And I want you to know that when you look at the next manger scene and you see baby Jesus in the manger, I want you to know that he was God's gift to the world. And I want you at the same time to see that baby in the manger. And I want you to know that Satan, our common enemy, wants nothing more than to murder that little child. You say, well, what in the world has that got to do with Christmas? This is the good news. God didn't let him. God protected him. God kept him safe because he cares about and he loved that child because he knew that that child was going to be the savior of the world. Now, I want to take a minute and I want to do something. If you're a visitor here, it's going to be awkward for you for a couple minutes, okay? But bear with me. This is something that is going to be very, very healthy. And I hope that when you see it, that it encourages you for churches around the area. Our church has just walked through six months of difficulty. God set me up as a leader of our church. And Satan has gotten into every square inch of our church. And I want you to know that as the leader of this church... I'm sorry for letting that happen. I want you to know that in everything that's happened, and listen, if you're a visitor, you're welcome to call me. You're welcome. There's no secrets. You're welcome to, I'll let you know what's been going on. Nothing to hide. Don't think of anything scandalous, but everybody here knows what's going on. I want you to know that I love each and every one of you more than you'll ever know. I want you to know that if I could go back and do some things different, I would go back and do some things different. I want you to know that I'm sorry and embarrassed for how things have turned out for us as a body. But I want to do this now. I want to read the rest of this verse. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that things don't have to stay the way that they are. But we serve a God who is so much bigger than anything that we've ever been through. 
And when he's given lemons, he doesn't make lemonade. He makes absolutely fabulous things out of broken things. I want you to see here. This is First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says this. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so, gang, you may be here, and you may be unaffected by anything that I just talked about. But if you're a child of God, Satan wants to absolutely devour you and anything that has to do with the things of God. He wants to devour you. He wants to devour me. He wants to devour our church. He wanted to devour the baby Christ child. This is what the scripture says in verse 9. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And then listen to this. This. This is the good part. This is the result of the Christmas message. It says this. Verse 10. After you've suffered a little while, and so gang, suffering is a normal part of life for all of us. There's going to be times in your life where you suffer. There's times in my life when I suffer. And the scripture says that that's a very normal thing. But it says this. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace. Grace is when you get something that you don't deserve. And this calls the God that we serve the God of all grace. He gives you second chances. He gives me second chances. He gives all of us way more than we've ever deserved when it comes to grace. He has given us, people often give a definition for the word grace as God's riches at Christ's expense. And so Christ comes to this earth, he dies for us, and then he gives us all sorts of spiritual blessings that you can read about in the book of Ephesians that you're given through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says that after you've suffered a little while, verse 10, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. And so that God, who's full of grace, who pulled you from the dominion of darkness, pulled me from the dominion of darkness, he called us to his eternal glory in Christ. And so that baby that Satan wanted to murder called us while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when we were an absolute mess and when we were an absolute wreck. And he called us to his eternal glory. You ever seen those shows, Rags to Riches, where, where somebody is, is born a pauper and then they find out that they've got royal blood in them and then they get to live and be king, be queen? That's your story. That's my story. God takes us when we're nothing. And he takes us and he makes something great out of us. And that's all of us. And gang... No matter how far someone falls, be it me, be it you, be it our church, or be it the church around the corner, no one ever falls far enough for God not to pick them up in his eternal grace, dust them off, and do fantastic things with them. And so, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're walking through, we never get deep enough for God's mighty arm to reach down and pick us up and dust us off and make something great out of us. Then it says this. After you suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, 
and establish you. And so he not only calls you to his eternal glory, but he perfects you. He makes you complete. Whatever you're lacking, he fills you up with. And he makes you presentable to God. He makes you perfect. He confirms you. He strengthens you. And he establishes you. And so what better Christmas message is there in that God takes anybody from any place or any church from any place and he dusts them off and he perfects them. He makes them complete. He confirms them. Wouldn't you love nothing more than for God to pick you up, to dust you off from wherever you've been, and to confirm you, to say that, yep, that's my child. He was dead in his trespasses and sins, but he's my child and I've made him clean. I've dusted him off and I'm confirming him and I'm not just confirming him and perfecting him, but I'm strengthening them and I'm establishing them. And so I want you to know that all of this is possible only when you do the verses before in First Peter. And so I want to back up and I want to read what he says in First Peter chapter 5 verse 1 because I think this is healthy. And then what I want to do is I want us at this Christmas season to come to the altar and I want us to pray together for our church. And if you're here and you have no idea what I'm talking about, I want you to pray for you. I want you to pray for me because I think I was planning on waiting until after Christmas to do all of this. But the greatest Christmas present that any of us could get this year would be for our church to be exactly what God's called it to be. And so, yeah... It's December 10th. It's getting close to Christmas. And you may think, boy, he's meddling. But I want to come here on Christmas Eve. And I want to want to come here. And I want to want to see you. And I want to worship the God who sent his son as a baby for the salvation of the world. And I want you to have that same gift. And so listen to this. Therefore, this is First Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not yet as lording over it these allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You, verse 5, younger men, likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. And so gang to meddle for 30 more seconds. The mess that we're in. The spiritual battle that we're in. The, that's going on all around us. Can only be fixed. By means of obeying the word of God. And humbling ourselves under his mighty hand. And that is the only thing that will put a stop to the raging that Satan is doing around us. And so that's why I'm standing before you right now. 
And I'm telling you that I'm not a perfect man. I'm a young leader. I'm learning a lot of things as I go. I love each of you dearly. Dearly. I'm trying to do what the scripture says and love you more than I love myself. Truth be told, I'm going to make more mistakes along the way. But I want you to forgive me, church. Because I love you. And I love the God that we both serve. And the only way that this thing at our church is going to get any better is if we forgive each other. So having said that, I love you. I hope that you have a fantastic Christmas season. And what I want to do is I want to close us with a word of prayer. And I'm going to ask each of you, I'm going to invite you to come to the altar with me. I'm going to be praying at the altar. And I'm going to ask um, Dr. Tarkington if you would lead us in a word of prayer. And we're going to pray at the altar. And when Dr. Tarkington finishes praying, and I'm putting him on the spot. I haven't asked him beforehand, so forgive me for that. I'm going to ask him to pray for us. We're all going to be at the altar together, everybody who's able-bodied and willing. And then after he prays, I'll close us in a word of prayer. And we'll have our song of invitation then. But I'd like as a closing part of this, this preaching time for us to spend some time praying together. So, Dr. Tarkington, would you come and pray for us? And after you pray... I'll pray for us. And Ron, I'm going to give him this microphone right here. I'm willing and able. I want to invite you to join me at the altar to pray. If you don't feel that your knees can handle it, you're welcome to sit on the front pew. I feel like this is something that would be fantastic for each of us to do for our church family. And so Dr. Tarkington, as the Lord leads, I invite you to lead us. Our blessed God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. We join our brothers and sisters in bowing and thanking you for the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we are well aware of the spiritual warfare that's been around him and your purposes to give your Son as a Savior to draw people to yourself. And Father, we acknowledge that there's been an attack of the enemy. And Lord, we thank you that you give grace and glory to those who will trust you and you'll give victory and you will stop the work of the enemy as people humble themselves before Almighty God. And Lord, we pray that Kashai will be a church that our people humble themselves before God and seek to walk in the light, to love one another, and to proclaim and uplift the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, this Christmas season, we bow and praise you again for the gift of your Son and your grace that strengthens and dusts off all those that trust you, that they might be established. Establish us now as a 
witnessing, loving community, exalting the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask in his precious name. Church, I love you. I count it an honor to be your pastor. And I cannot tell you how much I'm looking forward to the future and what God has for us. Don't take any of this as shifting blame. Don't take any of this as excuses. Don't hear any of that, but hear this. Even though part of the spiritual battle was lost, I counted an honor that Satan would care about us here in Windsor, North Carolina. We're going to get to the bottom of everything with love and patience and forgiveness. And then we as a church are going to do absolutely fantastic things for the name of Christ. Jesus did not come to condemn us. But he came so that we could have life and have it abundantly. And I'm ready for some life. Are you? If you would stand with us for our song of invitation. John, if you'd lead us.
pray that you'll invite your friends and family members to come. And try to invite someone who doesn't know the Lord, because we always take an opportunity to share the gospel afterwards. And wouldn't it be fantastic if folks came to know the Lord through all the hard work requires to put in this Christmas in God? So church family, I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you'll pray for me as well. I'm going to ask Brother Bob Bob if he would grab something to pray.